0: Hosea tonight, the book of Hosea, one of what we consider the minor prophets, Hosea. And by the way, the prophets are called major and minor not because of their importance, but they're called that because of their length and their size. The book of Hosea is immediately following the book of Daniel and immediately previous to is it the book of Joel? Is that right? Let me look. Yeah. Right in front of Joel. And of course, then we get into some of the smaller prophecies. And there's an interesting study that just to see who were contemporaries with each other and who they talked to and who their prophecies were to. It's, It's a very interesting study. And so... But that's, that's not what we'll do tonight. That would be more of a, uh, and, I, and I'm teaching through the Old Testament right now in, in our Bible college, and we're in a hybrid semester, rather than, and I know some of our, uh, some of our alumni would, be, would get their nose out of joint at this, but rather than having to do paces, we're teaching New Testament survey, Old Testament survey, and the life of Christ, so R. Davina is the professor for New Testament. I'm the professor for Old Testament. And Pastor Dean is the, Pastor Jerry Dean, he is the professor for the life of Christ. And we have Zoom school. So I have three students in the class here on campus. And of course their nationalities are Chinese, Ethiopian, and redneck. And then the, uh, the, we have now, and we've we just added two more. We, we've had two, last year I had two Filipino students. And one of them is now serving as Timothy's assistant. And he's a young man that's got a great deal of character. His name is Roki, And Roki's. I've seen Roki grow. I, I've just seen that boy grow. I didn't know how much he was getting, just to be fair with you because we're operating in his third language. His first language is Cebuano, his second language is Tagalog, and his third language is English. And he failed his first big test with me, failed his midterm, failed it pretty bad. And I thought, man alive. So I called Pastor Gerardo, he was at that time, He's living at Joel's on the big island. And I called him and I said, I need you to do something for me. I said, I want you to take that test. I don't want you to give him no answers, but I want you to read that test. I want you to translate that thing because you're Sabuano and he's Sabuano. Translate that test into Sabuano and tell him what that says. And then we go over the questions and read them to him in Sabuano and then let him retake it. He made a hundred. It was a language thing. So it wasn't that he'd know the material. It was a language thing. He, did, he couldn't understand the questions. So he and Dave, of course, Dave's sharp as a tack. got better English than I do. And Dave is, his, is Joel's assistant. Well, we have just last night or Monday night, we have added three new young men. Uh, one of them's name is Zeus. Imagine that. The other one's name is Johan, Filipinos. And the third one, his name is J.C., and uh, so we're having some internet connections, some problems with the internet. So we're going to try to work quickly to get that resolved, make sure it's not on our end, but it's because I think the number of connections, they're freeze framing on my end, they're freeze framing, I can't see the movement. Uh, you know, they, they just, they freeze on me, so I'm not seeing them come back. It could be on Joel's end, could be on our end, but uh, we're gonna try to get that worked out. But uh, we are, uh, we're doing survey courses during this time. And of course, there's a great deal to be learned uh, in surveying. It's, uh, surveying is like getting up on a hot air balloon and looking down. You know, if I show you a picture of a stop sign, all you know is that it says stop. You don't know where it's at. But if I were to get up in a hot air balloon and I were to start picking up and I would get higher and higher and higher, you'd see this road's coming this way that road's coming that way, this way. You'd recognize where it was. And if you're going to try to find something, knowing where you are is a big thing, see? And so survey is, a, is an important tool and an important uh, product and an important property. Hosea is going to, uh, I said say it this way, Hosea, you can contrast Hosea and Isaiah. They both had they were both had, had had similar things in common. But with Isaiah, he didn't have a whole lot of room for any any grace. It's pretty well Hosea right down the line. It was it was a it would call a spade a spade. I mean he was right down the line. Okay. And so he would be a picture of the of the justice of God. He would be a picture of the truth of God, right? The truth of God, no doubt, everything he said was true. But if Isaiah was the prophet of truth, then we could say that Hosea was the prophet of mercy. How so? Well, God used the personal life of Hosea as an illustration of between his wife, Gomer, and Hosea, God used their interaction and their marital problems and all the other things and her infidelity, God used that as a picture of the mercy of God toward the children of Israel. Okay? That's hard for me to imagine, but he did. And uh, you, can, you can study the book of Hosea, and you can see that there, there was uh, God gave the instructions uh, to, to take her. He knew who she was and what she was when he took her, but God said, Take her anyway, and so he did. And then children began to be born. And there's a good possibility that the first one was his. But there's also a very good possibility that the second one was not his. And there's also a very good possibility that uh, the third one was not his. Just by the way they were named and what their names meant. And so, and then by what? By what he says. Hosea says in chapter number 2, uh, in verse number 5, For their mother hath played the harlot. She that conceived them hath done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread after my water, my wool and my flax, my, mine oil and my drink. About my words, that's God's words. And that's Hosea's words about the situation. But I want to, of course, yesterday was Valentine's Day. I want to fast forward through chapter one, chapter two, and I want to put in in chapter number three, and I'd like to preach the entire chapter tonight. So I hope you brought a sandwich because we'll be here a while. No, actually, if you'll turn in your Bible, there's only five verses in the third chapter of the book of Hosea. And I want you to see some truths about this passage. Now, I've dealt with this about three years ago. I actually used it. I did some preparations for, I did a Valentine's banquet at another church, and I used it there, and, and so then I turned around and used it here, used portion of it. But I want to take a little bit different angle and a little bit different aspect. So there are two things that are going on at the same time. There is a real man and a real woman and real children and real sin and real family marital issues of the worst kind. But at the same time, the life of Hosea is preaching a message to the children of Israel, particularly to the northern kingdoms, okay? So this is is what's going on. This is is the message. And so if Isaiah is uh, is the prophet of truth, then Hosea is the prophet of mercy, if they will receive it. And of course, we know that Truth and mercy have met together and kissed. And of course, we know that's the, that that right there is the, is the economy of God. And I think that's what the Lord wants us to see. Take, if you will, stand from your, from your seat just for a moment. And I'll just go ahead and read the chapter in your hearing. The Bible says in Hosea chapter number three, Then said the Lord unto me, Go, love, go yet love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. So I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver, and for a homer of barley, and a half homer of barley. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot, and thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a... Without a king and without a prince, without a sacrifice, without an image and without an ephod and without a teraphim. Verse five, afterwards shall the children of Israel return and shall seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Well, I want to emphasize that phrase in the latter days because it's close. It's close. All right. And so, again, we're talking about a twofold truth here, a real man and a real wife in real situation, but we're also talking about a nation and the picture of God's dealing with the nation of Israel. So let's, let's bow our heads and hearts together. Father, help us, I pray, Lord, as we study true love, the love of God for His people in this passage, in Christ's name, amen. And amen. Thank you very much, and please be seated. I just want to three or four things that I want to I want to share with you about this love and about what God said to Hosea. Hosea's love was a commanded love. He said in verse number one then said the Lord unto me. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Anytime you see it rendered that way in your King James Bible, it's Jehovah. It's the covenant-keeping name of the God of Israel. There's no question who's doing the talking here. And so the command was a sovereign decree. He said, the Lord said unto me. And then it was also, the command was specific in its direction. He said, go yet, love a woman, beloved of her friend. Now, notice the phrase, go yet. If you go back and read and go back and study, and if I've got it chronologically correct, and I believe I do, the latter part of Hosea, it's, it, it, it's, it's kind of a recap, and may, but I think the first three chapters chronologically, there's no question that they're right, I mean, they're in the right order. But he says, go yet, in other words, in spite of what's happened, in spite of what's happened, go yet, and love a woman, and here's the phrase, beloved of her friend. In other words, the specific directions were that he was to go love and to continue to love. He was to go and take back a scarlet woman. Now, let me very, very, be very quick to insert this. People today will say, well, if somebody's unfaithful to you, then, then that is the, that you have the, the commandment to write them a bill of divorcement. That's not what Christ said. They said, Moses commanded us to put away our wives. Well, that's, that's not exalt what he said. Christ said, no, it was because of the hardness of your heart. He didn't command you to do it, but he gave you leave to do it because of the hardness of your hearts. And so, did he have the grounds to do it? Based on the law, he did. Deuteronomy 24, yes, he did. Based on the law. And the Bible says, but but God said to him, specific in his direction, that you go love a scarlet woman. She's done stepped out on you. She's done run off on you. But you go love a scarlet woman with a tainted reputation. And God said that. God told him to do that. And then he tells us not only is she a scarlet woman, but very clearly she is a sinful woman. She's beloved of a friend, but look what it says, yet an adulteress. Now, I want you to understand that there are people in this day that will tell you that adultery and fornication are the same thing. The deed may be the same thing, but God looks on the two things totally different, And somebody said, oh no, no, they're the same thing. One's the same as the other. Wait a minute. Why does God always list them separately? If they're the same thing, why does God list them separately? It's very simple. There is an act outside of marriage on the part of either. That's always dealt with as fornication. But when there is a, whether it's a marriage or even a betrothal in Old Testament times. If there was a betrothal, then it was guilty. They were considered, because that's the promise. It was, they were guilty of adultery. And somebody said, well, the same, listen to me. The penalty of the two things were entirely different. You know what the penalty for adultery was? Stoning. Stoning. You know what the penalty for fornication was? Marriage. Somebody said I'd rather be stoned. I know. Listen. And you had to make up to your pa-in-law. You had to do restitution to your pa-in-law. You had to get married and had to restitution to your pa-in-law. Somebody said I'd rather we get stoned. Sure enough. yeah. yeah. But here's what I'm saying. There's a difference. And let me say it this way. One you left this world. You stoned to death. The other, you had, to, you had to deal with it. You had to live it down. You had to live with it and live with your decisions. And by the way, a man could never divorce his wife if they were found guilty of fornication. He might not put her away all the days of his life. The, the divorce thing's off the table. A lot of people have no idea even what, how divorce was laid out in the Old Testament. Divorce did not occur when the kids got grown and moved off to college and the mom and dad felt like they didn't have anything in common. Divorce occurred the morning after. I'm just going to tell you that's when it occurred, okay? occurred the morning after. On the on the on the, the the morning of the marriage, the day before, the the morning of the first day they were married, the first complete day they were married, when they woke up, that was, the, that was when everything took place. And basically, Old Testament divorce was what we would today call annulment. You could take it before the priest. You could show the evidence. I got sold a bill of goods. This is not what I was promised. This is not what was supposed to be. And they would annul it. They would, you could write a bill of divorcement. According to the scripture. Okay, But it did not occur. Biblical divorce did not occur. Now, can I just say this? If there was ever anybody that brought a charge against the wife, the daddy-in-law would keep the tokens of her virginity and put them away, just as evidence, just in case anybody ever worked to make an accusation. So that he would be able to refute that charge. And he would be able to refute the charge of the husband. Okay. So, in the, and I'm, I can't go into any further detail than what I just went into. I'm not going to in a mixed congregation. But I'm very familiar with the passage. Okay. And so, there are specific directions. Go yet, love a woman, beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress. So there's the, the, this, 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 this love that was commanded. The command was sovereign. He said, uh, the Lord said unto me. The command was specific. I uh, love a woman, yet an adulteress. But the command was also spiritual. Look what the Bible says. According to the love of the Lord. In other words, it established the standard of God's love for Israel. Go love an adulteress. She's not been faithful to you. Go love her. And you're going to see here in just a moment, it wasn't as easy as just taking her back. He had to buy her back. And so understand what God's trying to say. God is establishing a standard saying, look, Israel, you've been running around on me. Israel, you've been seeking after false gods. But if you'll quit it, if you'll come home, and if you'll be faithful, all is forgiven. But they didn't. But there was a a, a standard established. According to the love of the Lord. How much, oh, how he loves even me. He established the standard, but he also expressed his subjects. He said, toward the children of Israel. Is there any question? Now, at this point, we have a divided kingdom. We've got the children of Israel and the children of Judah. Okay, so we've got uh, Judah and Benjamin, or the two southern and the ten northern tribes. This is who we're dealing with. And, and specifically, they're all the children of Israel, but by this time, we've divided them in, in two parts, okay? And of course, they have been warring and all these other things between them. And so there's no doubt of who he's talking to. The expressed subjects of God's love is Israel. And anybody that can't read that in the Bible, they can't read, apparently, because it's Israel, folks. It's Israel. And this, these are God's earthly people. And so the expressed subjects of the passage. But then there's the exposed sins. Against God's love by Israel. The scripture says, who look to other gods. Can you imagine that? The God of the Phoenicians was half man and half fish. That's where mermaids, the idea of mermaids, uh, all kinds, to the point that God ran out all of the children. All the the children of all the Canaanites, God run them out. Matter of fact, he told Abraham in Genesis 15, he said, The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So therefore, you're not going to get the land. They're not been bad enough for me to run them out yet, but they're going to. And your children will be the advantage of that. You'll take advantage of that. And after 40 years of wilderness wandering, 400 years in. Uh, Egypt, so roughly about 450 years, the iniquity of the Amorites is full, and God said, totally wipe them out. Destroy them, all of them, wipe them out. And take their land, take their houses, take their vineyards, take everything. It's yours. But the problem is the children of Israel adopted the gods that they found. They adopted the practices that they found. They adopted all the, and they brought some of it with them from Egypt because of the golden calves. In other words, God was successful in getting the children of Israel out of Egypt through the crossing of the Red Sea and into the Promised Land. But God was not successful of getting all of Egypt out of the children of Israel. Egypt's a type of the world. And the Bible says, "Who looked to other gods, false gods, little G gods, and then said this and love flagons of wine. A flagon's a big pitcher with a handle and a spout. They loved pitchers of wine, and so they were. They were. They were just like the just like the ones that got run out. They were drunkards. They were worshiping heathen gods. And by the way, just so you know." Just as there's been a physical element of sin by Gomer against Hosea with other men, there was a physical element of sin tied to these other gods. In other words, idol worship was tied very closely to licentiousness, temple prostitution, and things I can't even go into in a mixed congregation. But it was part of the Canaanite religion. And they celebrated it. And they celebrated the wickedness. And by the way, it didn't go away. Paul dealt with it in Corinth. He had to deal with it. I mean, I mean, I mean the, the temple of Aphrodite was there. Aphrodite, the temple is there. And the people frequented. And the sailors come in and come to a dual port there on that isthmus of Corinth. And at the top of the hill in both directions was the temple of Aphrodite. And they recruited some of the most beautiful women of all of Europe to serve as the temple prostitutes. And that's how they kept the temple coffers full. Understand what I'm talking about the parallel between the the sin of Gomer and the sin of the children of Israel. They fell right into the lockstep of the people that God drove out and he said the iniquity of the Amorites is full. Get them out. Kill them all. Destroy them all. And they went in and did the very same thing in the very same places. And instead of cutting down the groves, they built them up even bigger. And they were wicked places so we have seen that verse number one, that Hosea's love was a commanded love. But I want you to look in verse number two. You see, Hosea's love was a costly love. It was expensive. God told him to do it in verse one and verse number two, so I bought her to me. What does that mean, preacher? He bought her. I was, I was trying to remember where it was at today, and I, and I looked it up. Let me read to you what Isaiah said. It's not about this, but I think it gives us some input and some insight as to what has happened. Isaiah chapter 50, verse number one, thus saith the Lord, where is the bill of your mother's divorcement whom I have put away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have ye sold yourselves, and for your transgressions is your mother put away. Now this is hard to imagine. But the wife of a prophet got so far out in sin, she is sold into slavery. Now just imagine that. And imagine her, I mean, I've got a I've got an imagination. I can imagine her with tattered peasant clothing on. I can imagine her as they bring in the slaves. And their hands are bound, and maybe the chains around their feet, and they march them one by one up onto the block. And as horrible as that thought is, maybe there's some strong men that have been captured in battle. Maybe they are prisoners of war, and they're auctioned off, and maybe they fetch a good price. And they work their way down. They have the strongest one first, and he brings the highest price. But then they work their way down. But back in the back of the wagon, the sale's about over, and they said, "Wait, wait a minute! Got one more." And they bring out Gomer. Her hair is matted. Possibly her teeth are rotted. She's sickly, possibly diseased. I can see it raining and hair matted down. And and they bring her up to the auction block. And they say, what am I bid? And people just look at the ground and look away. She's such a hard thing to look at. And nobody will even Entertain a bid, and they'd say, "Surely she's worth something." I don't. I, I, again, I'm. This is in my mind. Maybe Hosea don't know, but maybe somebody saw her in the back of the wagon. Maybe he don't even know she's back in town. But word gets back. Maybe the maybe he's praying, and the Lord says. Go, When he gets down there, the auction's almost over, and they can't even get a bid. Let me tell you what I believe, and this is just a belief. The price of a slave was 30 pieces of silver. She was on sale. Or Hosea didn't have 30 pieces of silver. But he did have 15. And he had some grocers he'd put up at the house. Hard raising these young'uns and mama gone. He's got roughly 10 bushels of barley. Not wheat, but barley. Barley was grown, if you ever had barley bread, it's dark and it's got a sharp flavor to it. Barley was used to feed animals with. It was the lowest. They used to say, there was a saying in England that said, the lighter your bread, the better your bread. The lighter your B-R-E-A-D, the better you are B-R-E-E-D. In other words, rich people ate light bread. That's what Grandma used to call it, light bread. didn't matter if it's bunny bread or it didn't matter if it was a sunbeam bread, it was light bread. Get us a loaf of light bread. Yeah. Because wheat didn't do much around here. We did, we did grow rye, but again, rye bread was dark. Barley was dark, but wheat didn't do very well around here. I guess cause it too wet. I don't know why, but wheat wheat just never did do much here that I knew much about. Never saw a lot of wheat, at least in, in Transylvania. I guess cause the amount of rain we have, something. I don't know. But I remember them sitting and getting light bread at the store, get a loaf of bunny bread or whatever, colonial bread or and I believe Hosea run up and he said, I'll give fifteen pieces of silver and 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 ten bushels of barley. Well, 10 bushels of barley ain't worth much but that's what he's got so I said why do you think he'd come up with that amount I personally think he gave everything he had because it's almost embarrassing to bid a homer of barley and a half a homer he didn't even got two homers of barley he just got a half left they've been eating on the one all he's got is a homer and a half left so that swift purchase, I'll take it, I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver. That, that, that silver pieces, that, that swift purchase, that, that's the expression of, of his love. The silver pieces, that's the effect of the law. And then the seed payment, he, he, I, I believe that had to do with evidence of his lack. I don't believe he had anything else, but I believe he gave all that he had said, I'll give what I got and I'll give all the groceries I got. We'll make it somehow to buy back this woman who sure don't deserve it. But I'll give her all I got. And so, Hosea's love was a costly love. Can I just add here, the Lord Jesus He was God's love gift. And I want you to understand, God gave all he had. Now, you need to understand, there was no better, there was no more, there was no more. There was, hey, he couldn't sacrifice an angel, wouldn't have done it, but he could sacrifice his son. Because that's all he had. Were we worth it? No. 10,000. Hey, if you think you were worth it, you need to go look in the mirror. It's a mistake on your part. You were not, and I'll stay one step further. You are not worth it. On our best day, we are not worth the, the blood of the very Son of God. That's blasphemous to even think that. Course, we were not. Amen. But he gave his very best and he gave his very all. Yes, yes, yes. Amen. Hosea's love was a commanded love. Hosea's love was a costly love. He didn't go at it halfway, he gave everything. And Hosea's love was a committed love. Verse number three. He's going to. He's going to make some demands of her concerning the fidelity of their marriage. He said about, said, you stay at home. Thou shalt abide for me many days. Your traveling days are over, woman. I own you. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. You are bought with a price. You're staying at the house. You will abide at home. Number two, thou shalt not play the harlot. He said, you're going to abandon this harlotry thing. Those days are over. This, we're done with this. I forgive all I had. We'll do without to get you off that auction block. You're done with that. And then he said this, and thou shalt not be. For another man, that's his. He, he demands allegiance to Hosea. I'm yours and you're mine, and that's it. That's the way it's going to be. He demanded marital fidelity, but he also declared mutual fidelity when he said, "So will I also be for thee." He said, "I'm not going to put anything on you bigger than I'm require myself." I'll be faithful to you just like the day when we got married. I'll be faithful to you just like you were a virgin. I'll be faithful to you and there's, listen, I'm committing myself to you afresh. Now, from the way I read it, they're married, she run off, she may have had children by another man, she's sold into slavery, and he buys her back, And he said, all is forgiven, but there are going to be some changes around our house. It was a committed love. But then I want to take the last two verses, and I want to show you a bigger picture of what God was doing. We've seen some very intimate details between Mr. and Mrs. Hosea. Things that most people don't talk about. But we got, we, we've seen some things. God let us in on some things, some family secrets, and put it out there for everybody to see. And the reason that that happened is because God was wanting to show that Hosea's love was a comparable love. So in other words, the whole picture, the whole situation is found in verse number four. He said, For the children of Israel shall abide many days, and notice the phrase, without a king. Do you understand that from the time that they came back, now think about what I'm fixing to say. From the time the children of Israel repatriated back to Jerusalem and back to the promised land, after their captivity, in Babylon, and of course, the northern kingdoms in Syria by the Assyrians, and then they were conquered by the Babylonians, and then they were conquered by the Medes and the Persians. Israel was under, the northern tribes, they were under Assyrian rule, and then they were under Babylonian rule, and then they were under Persian rule, and then they were under Greek rule, and what the New Testament opens, and they're under Roman rule. And to, even today, Israel doesn't have a king. They have a prime minister. Israel Israel doesn't elect a man. Israel elects a party. They're in a parliamentary system dissimilar to ours. The Knesset is made up of, based on how many votes you get uh, for your party, that's how many seats that they fill. And so something quite different than we have. Can I tell you that there's not been a king On the throne of Israel since since they went into captivity. There's not been a king. There's no king in Israel. But what's worse, there's not even a prince. In other words, there's no personal king and there's no prospect of a king. There's no little boy waiting to grow up. There's not one, and has not been. There's no king in Israel. There's going to be, a, whoop, he's coming. And they'll recognize him. And business is going to pick up. Hallelujah. Woo. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But understand they're going to go through 2,000 years plus, about 2,400 years and counting. 2,400 years, 25, close to 2,500 years, this passage is going to be true. They're going to be without a king. And she's going to be separated from the protection of of, of government. There'll be none. And and you say, well, wait a minute, preacher, Israel's coming on strong. Yeah, that's the point. That's, That's why it's the latter day. I mean, they're a world power. They're a nuclear power. Their technology exceeds the United States. We sell them aircraft, and they put new technology in them, and them brand new. They put Israeli technology in them, and they're more advanced than ours. It's amazing, and they're a partner with us. Did you know that they're one of the few? Well, as far as I know, they're the only nation. Maybe England. I think England and Israel are the only two nations on earth that we'll sell our latest strike fighters to. Nobody else is allowed to have them. But them. that's our closest allies. But by the way, just, just so you know, you know who's voted with the United States and the United Nations since 1948? You know who's voted closer with the United, Na- in the, in the United Nations vote? You know who's supported the United States closer than anyone else? What United Kingdom? Israel has been our number one ally, period. Israel has voted closer with the United States than any other country on the face of God's earth. I don't want to hear anybody run them down. They are our number one ally. The Bible says without government, without protection, a helpless government. Look in the latter part of verse number four and without a sacrifice, and without an image. Do you understand that there's been no sacrifice? The sacrifice ended in A.D. 70 with the tearing down of the temple. And do you understand that today, they don't even own the temple mount. It was, they wanted to own it. In World War II, they, they were going to take it. The British were going to take it. But they felt like through a series of dis situations. And by the way, the general who was staged in Jerusalem and the plan was to go in and to take the Temple Mount. Anyone want to know what he had in the back of his Jeep? A Israeli general. You know what he had in the back of the Jeep? as he sat on the outskirts of Jerusalem hoping to get the command to take the Temple Mount. You know what he had in the back of the Jeep? A lamb firstborn without spot or blemish. And he had determined he'd be the first man in 2,000 years to sacrifice on the Temple Mount. But the order was to stand down. Do you understand that the day's coming, they'll rebuild that temple They'll go back to sacrificing like their father Abraham. As a matter of fact, they're waiting. Lord, they're waiting. Listen to me. Hey, I got the news bulletin. September the 10th, no, September the 15th, 2022. I think from King Ranch in Texas. Red heifers that passed the test. I'm talking about they went over them with a magnifying glass. Rabbis from Jerusalem went over those heifers with a magnifying glass. Day after day after day. And if they found one stray hair, it would be accepted. If they found two, but if they found a third black hair, white hair, or any other kind of hair on that animal, anywhere on its body, it would be dis qualified. But they found them. They were they were they were pure. They flew those cattle on an L Al 747 those cattle were unloaded in Tel Aviv and they had a celebration and they had a news conference. I saw it with my own eyes. I read it in the Jerusalem Post and they celebrated the advent of the red heifer. They said that's all they lacked to sanctify the temple when it was rebuilt. The blood of the red heifer. Sanctify that altar. Sanctify that brazen labor. Oh, they were tore up about it. Can I tell you, we're close and very close. They've been without a sacrifice. They have been without an image. If you'll remember, and, and it's interesting, the word image means pillar. If you'll remember that the, they named those columns on the front of that thing. They had names. One had one name, one had another name, and they named those pillars in that temple. I understand that they have been without a sacrifice, a sacrificial place, but they've also been without a sacred place. There is no temple, but there's going to be. They claim she's prefabbed, just like Solomon did it. Everything's been cut. There'll be not a sound of, a, of, a, of, a, of somebody chipping stone. There won't be a sound of, of a rock mason on the Temple Mount. She'll go up in sacred holy silence. They claim it's scattered all around the city. All they're waiting for is the green light and they'll put that thing up in a matter of days. That's what they claim. That tribulation temple. She was separated though for all these years since A.D. 70. Almost 2,000 years she's been separated from the places of her holy God, the sacrificial place and the sacred place. But then the Bible says... And without an ephod, and without a teraphim, she's been separated from her helpless protection of her helpless government, separated from the places of her holy God, separated from the pursuing, from hearing from the God, or the gods. And I say that, it's hard to write this, because if you look what the Bible says, ephod, that's what the priests wore. Understand, that was, their, that was their contact. The priest was their link between God and man. And they've been without a priest. They've not had a man to intercede for them. They've had rabbis, but they've not had a priest. They've not had the priestly system set up. And all oh, how they've longed for that day, and how they longed to be returned to that. But they've been without an ephod, no priest to hear from the true God. But God throws something in and it seems like it's almost as a jab. He says without teraphim. You know what a seraphim is? A seraphim is a, is a six winged being in heaven, heavenly being. A teraphim, like terra firma, it's an earthly God, spelt with a little G. And they were used for soothsaying and divining and telling the future. If you'll remember, Rachel stole one of Laban's gods and hid it under the seat of the camel. If you'll remember, Michael had one and she put it in David's bed and put a goat's hair on it and made out like he was in bed sick. What you doing with one of them things in your house, Michael? That tells me something about your spiritual walk. What you doing with a teraphim in a house with you? You ain't no business having that in your house. What you doing with that? So in other words, God said, you ain't gonna have no ephod, you ain't have no priest, but you ain't even gonna have no little, you ain't even gonna have nothing to even talk to the little gods with. You ain't going to be able to talk to the big God, the the, the God, the God of heaven with the big G God, but you're not going to have anything to communicate with the little G gods neither, nor teraphim. That's what he told them. Listen to me. Let me tell you what's significant. When we used to, I I remember getting the puppies. When When I was young, I got a chihuahua. I think I was in the first grade or maybe, I think I was in first grade. And I got a Chihuahua, and I named her Conchita. And I kept that dog until after Shanna was born. It was one of the oldest living Chihuahuas that ever was. She used to ride a motorcycle with me. i put her in my jacket. I took that dog everywhere. Me and her were buddies, me and that Chihuahua. Well, I thought the awfulest thing, when we got that little Chihuahua dog, when she'd go to the bathroom in the house, They'd take that dog and rub her nose in it. I guess the spca would lock a man up for doing that today, wouldn't he? But they would rub their nose in that stuff and then put it outside. Well, it didn't take too many times of rubbing that puppy's nose in its mess to make it realize I'm going to quit messing where it can see me, where they can see me. I'm going to start doing it under the couch instead, you know. <laughs> and that's what that, that was the message, you know. I ain't going to do it where they can see me, because if they see me, they're going to rub my nose in it, so I'm going to go up under the couch where they can't see me. But eventually, the dog would catch on. you got to go outside to do that. And they'd go to the door and scratch, and they'd go outside. Well, to use a very crude illustration, hear me when I say, God never got all of the Egypt out of the children of Israel. Until he sent them to Babylon. And when he sent them to Babylon, Babylon, son, you couldn't throw a Hebrew on a teraphim. Son, you couldn't throw. A, hey, listen. They don't want nothing to do with it. No how, no way. God broke them as sure as housebreaking a puppy. I'm talking about they're so careful about such things. They're careful about graven images. Son, they're careful about everything. As a matter of fact, they believe that Catholics, because they worship images and pray to images, they believe Catholics are pagan. They believe Catholics are heathen for that reason. Because that stuff's forbidden around them. Ain't no way, no how that's going to happen. So in other words, for 2,000 years, they've not had those idols to turn to. The teraphims are off the table. They're off limits. But the ephob's gone too. So do you understand that Judaism has just sunk to a form and basically a dead religion because it hadn't heard from God in so long. It had been 400 years when John the Baptist's dad heard from God. You talk about a dry spell. But can I tell you that after the Acts of the Apostles and the great move of God in the Gospels. It was said about Ephraim, some of the saddest words in your Bible. God said, Ephraim is joined unto his idols. Let him alone. You understand God has let him alone. No ephod, no teraphim, but, that's verse number four. So, Israel's deprivation, part of that judgment, it's listed in verse number four. But, oh, thank God for verse number five. I am so glad God didn't end it with four. I'm so glad he gave us a fifth verse. Five's the number of grace. He said afterward. After the judgment comes, he starts to tell us about her repentance toward the Lord. Afterwards. Be a long, cold, dry spell, Israel. But afterwards, they'll come a day and it'll be over. The Gentiles will be in heaven. That Gentile bride and the believing Jews, they'll be in heaven in the rapture. And once again God will stir the nest of the Jewish people and awaken them. Repentance toward the Lord. The Bible says afterward shall the children of Israel return. Not only repentance toward the Lord but for the return to the land. Listen to me. I, I've, <laughs> I took a group to the Holy Land and we were on a Big 747, I was trying to think where we went through. I believe we went through uh, I don't know, we went through Rome. We were on Alitalia. We was on a big Alitalia aircraft, big 747. We were landing in Tel Aviv. we went to land, and suddenly that thing banked up, and it went around, and we went around and around and around and around. And around. It's late. We've been flying day and night. I got a group on there, and I'm thinking, "What in the world?" And then here in a little bit. I mean, it took a while. We sat down. We got into the got in there and we we got in and so we got in there to the customs, got in all that stuff. So I got this group we're trying to get our luggage, all this stuff. And they's offless line and there's some big celebration going on and ain't nobody even working the line, ain't nobody even taking care of us. They're all over yonder and they're a-squalling and they're a-thrilling and they're a-hollering and they're dancing and there's music and they're throwing candy. And man, they just having a big old time. And I thought, I did, hey, I didn't come halfway around the world for you to have a shindig, man. Get about your business. Hey, pay me a bit of attention. We like to have never cleared that airport. Got our bus. We started up. Listen, we had booked four stars. Couldn't afford five, but we booked a four-star. We booked the Mount Zion Hotel. I'm talking about nice, nice place. Out on Mount Zion, just down from the city, beautiful, beautiful place. Excellent food, buffet meals. She was nice. I already had all that booked up, had all that lined up. We're in this big bus, and we climbed up the hill, and I said, finally, glory to God, finally, we're going to get this crowd to bed, get them in here and Get them something to eat. Get them to bed. We've had delays on the had a had an air stop in in, in Rome, and we, we were late leaving. And then we got there, we're late. And then we circled us around, round, round. We're late, and so we're going to go to the Mount Zion. Boy, I can't wait to eat that Israeli bus buffet. It's going to be awesome. About that time, we took a right turn on this little bitty side street, and I said, "Where are we going?" I mean, it's so narrow you couldn't even hardly get the bus through there. We pulled up in front of a little old roach motel, and when I say that, I'm not just saying that. Listen to me. We slept with the lights on because we was afraid they would charge us for multiple occupancy because the roaches are so big. You've never seen roaches bigger in your life. I didn't know they grew that big. They were everywhere. And if you turned the light off, they'd get on you. They'd crawl on you. We slept with the light on. We could talk. It was made out of metal. The walls was made out of metal, uh, and you could hear everything. I mean, we could talk back and forth through the walls to the people in the next room. It was the awfulest night I've ever had in my life. We got down the next morning, went downstairs, and my mad, Lord, I'm mad. I done, hey, I'm mad. I, I wouldn't have given you 10 cents for all those mattresses you could have put in a, in a semi-truck. It was terrible. Terrible, terrible night. The whole trip's been a disaster. We go downstairs. Son, the sponsor walked up and I said, I need to talk to you. And I stepped over and I said, what in the world is going on? And the veins are bulging in my neck. He said, now before you get too mad, listen. He said, it is custom here. He said, last night, a load of Russian Jews were coming in. They were born and raised in, in, in Moscow. And there's a whole flight of repatriated Jews coming in for the very first time. And when they enter Israeli airspace, all other aircraft are put in a holding pattern and they get to land directly on the runway. And I said, well, okay, but what about that mess and all that shindigles? He said, that was them. They had a band. (laughs) They had hors d'oeuvres. They had everything. And when they set foot on Israeli soil, the Jews pitched a party at the expense of the federal government of Israel. Welcome home, brethren, even though they didn't speak a word of Hebrew. They spoke Russian. They had interpreters there. Welcome them back to the motherland. I said, "Well, okay, but that don't explain this Roach Motel." And they said, "They took that load of Jews and put them in your bed last night." They get to stay in a four-star or five-star hotel their first night home, and they preempted us and they put that whole plane load of Jews in the Mount Zion Hotel at government expense. I felt about that big. And I said, Lord, you said you'd bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. Lord, bless them Jews, even if they did make my trip miserable. I got to experience firsthand. I got to see firsthand. And then to prove the point, we were walking through old Jerusalem. And it's a beautiful place. And there's singing and there's people on the streets and minstrels. It's just just an awesome place. And there's no fear of being hurt or anything. It's just it's just an awesome place. Uh, street vendors. It's just great. And there's a fella standing over here, and he's got the got the beard, and he's got the stuff, and got the little curly cues, and he's got a hat in his hand. And in, and in I guess Russian, and then in Hebrew. And I got to watch it, and people were crossing the street to go to that man, and they were putting. Israeli shekels in the hat. So I found somebody, said, can you translate to me what that sign says? He said, that sign says, I'm a recent Russian immigrant Jew. He said, that's all he had to say. People were walking across the street, standing in line to get to his hat to put money in it. That's their welfare program. And there wasn't a single Jew that passed that didn't put money in that hat. The scripture says, Shall the, afterwards shall the children of Israel return, the return to the land. I've got to see that and you have too. But look at this next phrase. This ain't happened yet, but it's coming. And seek the Lord their God and David their king. Whew. Repentance toward the Lord, return to the land, revival for the Lord's people. Reverence for the Lord's greatness and shall fear the Lord and recognition of the Lord's goodness and his goodness In the latter days. I want you to understand that what what Hosea went through in his life was a picture. And I'm hoping that what God promised about the children of Israel, I'm hoping that they got some happy years together at the back end of their life. I'm hoping they did. I'm I'm thinking maybe that they did just because of what's said in verse 4 and verse number 5. But the point I'm trying to make is you talk about love. You talk about true love. You talk about a love that that is beyond our comprehension. That's the kind of love that God has for his people. It's how he loves his church. It's also how he loves this chosen, the Jew. And soon and very soon they'll be back in the land they'll wake up one day and realize it was him all along hallelujah and it'll usher in the millennial kingdom where we'll rule and reign for a thousand years let's bow our heads together